Hey, this is Jim Martin, and I just wanted to welcome you to this episode of Little Things First. Um, We described some things that are happening on a screen during this podcast because we did this podcast uh, as a Zoom. We were in different locations practicing social distancing in this time of the coronavirus, and um, we recorded the Zoom Um, And it's available on our YouTube channel, which we'll have information about in our show notes. However, um, please know that this starts the series of four episodes where we will be talking to individuals about how best the little things that we can do to get through this crisis as educators in the educational world. So hopefully you find some help and some um, practical suggestions. We're starting off with Monica Burns. Thank you, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Have a great day. Potter background. Now you have to tell us if you've actually been to that castle. I, I've been Universal Studios uh, before FETC a couple years ago. I did the Harry Potter tour, but Scotland's been on my list for a bit, and I haven't haven't been. <laughs> my, I, I'm sorry. I have to take a little diversion here. I know this has nothing to do with education, mm-hmm. but we went to England, well, the British Isles, and mm-hmm. uh, at the time, 16 year old said. Oh, I don't really want to travel with you, right? And mm-hmm. so we said, okay, well, you get to decide where we're going to go. Well, that kind of brightened her up a bit, and the whole thing was Harry Potter. Theme. Amazing. <laughs> it was cool. We just hopped around to all the filming locations, and in the end, it, it was probably the best we could have had. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah, so Monica, I'm encouraging you. Go for it. Yeah, yeah it's on the list for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hey, Jim, James, you're listed on the screen as James. Yeah, that's all right. I go by Jim, James, whatever people want to call me. Mm-hmm. I'm just filling up the questions now, Monica. And yeah. why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Well, I am based in Jersey City, New Jersey, which is where I'm actually at, um, at home today. And I taught in New York City public schools for a number of years. So starting off like many of us with an overhead projector and transparencies and all that good stuff into um, transitioning into a classroom where we were one-to-one with iPads was our device of choice. And so I left the classroom a few years ago to start hosting professional development for educators to do more writing and and work um, within the space. And so right now I do that a lot now, a little bit more virtually, of course. So um, doing professional development and embedded uh, coaching in schools and speaking about education technology and writing and sharing on my blog, classtechtips.com and my podcast, the Easy Ed Tech Podcast, really focusing in on trying to make ed tech easier uh, with strategies that are actionable, right? In addition to some of the big ideas or favorite tool lists um, that come along the way as well. 
Very nice. You're busy. Yeah, it's been a busy few years. Um, and now just some transitions into thinking about supporting people more virtually um, as opposed to some of the on-site event and the heavy mm -hmm. travel that I've had travel schedule that I've had the past few years. You know, I love being uh, side by side by folks, but I'm really thankful uh, for the opportunities to connect, you know, in virtual ways, like the way we are today. Yeah. And you, you recently had a blog post in ASCD's in-service about not mm -hmm. overwhelming people with online learning initiatives. Can yeah. You, can you talk a little bit about that? Do you think people are currently feeling overwhelmed by everything that's coming at them? Without a doubt. I don't think yeah. there's anyone um, even coming from a very strong program that could make a quicker switch to distance or remote learning. I don't think there's anyone who's not feeling overwhelmed, right, in different ways. And yeah, so I wrote a blog post for ASCD. I actually have um, published with them. So they're the publisher for my book, um, Tasks Before Apps. And I'm looking over here because I have one on my desk. I have a quick reference guide I just published for them on classroom nice. technology tips. So love everything. Um, um, ASCD. And I'd actually first put together a podcast episode that was kind of a bonus Sunday night. I usually do Tuesday mornings, um, quick, you know, under 10 minutes. And that's what I really turned into or kind of inspired the blog post that I wrote for them, which is really just about, there's a lot going on, right? This is very overwhelming. And the kind of piece, you know, the kind of the summary of it is just here are two things to consider, right? You either have something that's working really well right now that you can layer on, or you might not. And this is a great opportunity to recommend resources to families that you are in a position to pick out because you know the content, you know the students, and you can vet quality resources, right? So trying to place people at least initially, right, in those two camps. I know um, today as we're talking, um, just a few hours ago, New York City, you know, decided, which was no big surprise, but still hard to hear, uh, that they would have schools closed, you know, for the remainder of the school year, right? So, you know, when I put that blog post together, I've about a month ago, it was very like everyone was just scrambling. You know, my inbox is full of ed tech companies with great intentions, right, for sharing resources that were free. And I just know how what it feels like to want to do your best all the time, right, as a classroom teacher and the kind of guilt that goes alongside with that when you are trying your best and things aren't working and it's overwhelming and just kind of trying to remind folks to have some grace and space with that, you know, as they're navigating something that's not just a quick shift to remote learning, but in the midst of a very serious, you know, public health crisis that's not just impacting the families of students, but also the families of educators, right, who have to make tough decisions and prioritize their time as well. Yeah. And and I think that um, you talked about how the teachers want to do well and there's some feeling of guilt or like I'm just not good enough or I can't keep up or I've never really done a YouTube video. I know in my building, uh, teachers have, they've just been so willing and it's a scary thing for them to just jump both feet into the land of technology, especially for some of our teachers that don't feel as comfortable with it, right? Yeah. Um, so I appreciate you kind of honoring that that transition is difficult and usually it takes us a little while to kind of get there and not this time, right? It's right. like one weekend and oh, Monday, start doing this. 
Yeah, it's really tough. And I, you know, I've been talking to a lot of folks, obviously, the past few weeks and you know, where as, as they're navigating these different challenges and doing a lot of listening, right? In addition to, hey, here's a thing, right? You might want to explore my inbox, especially on Instagram, I would say, and Twitter, probably most on those two platforms has been really full of educators saying, here's a problem. What can I do? Or mm-hmm you mentioned this thing when you came to my school six months ago and what was it? Because now I yeah. think I need it. Right. And so yeah. those kind of conversations. And so as someone, you know, in my normal role um, with the blog and sharing on social, right. I am putting out a weekly newsletter every week with here's something new or here's an idea for your classroom. And, and now I'm very, you know, I'm trying very hard to share, right. These mm-hmm. resources, like, did you know this thing is free now? Or here's a couple of things you might want to share with families, but at the same time, try and make sure that I'm kind of reminding that, you know, this might not be the right fit, right. Please don't feel like this. Yeah. You need to do this in order to get things right. This is not going to be a magic piece, but it's maybe something you want to know about um, right now um, that may address a concern you have. Otherwise, come back later, right? And we can talk about it, you know, at another time. So what are the themes that you're, you're kind of getting from people? Like, are there, are there some similar questions or some similar topics that keep coming up that you keep recommending time and time again? Like, if you had to boil it down to like, I don't know, two or three that people should be doing or are doing or whatever, what would that Mm -hmm. be? Yeah. So I think first uh, off is workflow. So right away, people are wondering how is this, how am I going to get something to my students and how are they going to get that thing back to me? Right. And so when I am sharing resources or strategies in a presentation, right, at a conference, especially where I don't know what everyone in the room might be. It's different when I get to go to a school, right, and be a little bit more strategic. But in those situations, I always say, use what you've got, like lean into this workflow. I'm going to share with you some ebook resources or some differentiation strategies. And if you don't have a starting place, here's one. But if you already have started, right, you have that LMS in place, you've tried out Seesaw before, your kids all log in to Microsoft Teams or Google Classroom, like, don't try something new now if you can help it, right? Use that thing and really investigate what you can do with it. But there are people who are not in that position, right? Who either haven't been mandated to do some, to do something specific. So of course there's folks who don't really have a lot of flexibility, right? When it comes to choosing things because they've been asked to do something a really specific way. But then there's other people who don't have really any support or guidance or who are, there's not, you know, a set of expectations and there's lots of reasons why all those things are happening and that's okay, right? But they are looking for something that they can start off and use for that workflow. And so now we're in a situation where there's more choices of tools you can use for free today than something that I might say in the past, like pilot this out, or maybe it's worth checking out, you know, so there's some of those tools where, you know, I'm suggesting you know, Flipgrid would make it really easy for you to just do quick videos if that's what you want, right? Seesaw would make it really easy for your kids to draw a picture and send it back to you, which is a question I answered in my email inbox this morning that someone asked, right? So those are the kind of pieces, but I think it is really important, you know, that even with folks who have the best intentions for this, right, there's always those unintended consequences. And I think we've seen that, you know, we're a month into this now in a lot of places, or at least a month of thinking about this, even if folks maybe were on spring break and started last week, right? So people are now starting to say like, you know what, 
maybe video conferencing isn't the right thing to do with all of my fourth graders, right? Or with all of my 12th graders, like maybe it's not okay to ask them all to beam in right from wherever they happen to be. And, and that might be okay for right now because we haven't been super strategic or we haven't talked about where is okay in your home to do this, or we haven't given a device to everyone, right? Or we haven't talked about what happens when someone says you have to do laundry right now, or you have to watch another sibling and you're supposed to show up at a time and you're being graded. Like these are things that I think people are trying their best at, but you know, now we've seen some of the consequences of those things and it's important to acknowledge them and not pretend like they're not there. And there are some people who have kind of seen those things coming, right? Or who were saying, maybe we should slow down as much as we want to be quick. And so I think people are going to do a lot of reflection, right? Over the next month or so, especially for those folks who thought maybe this is just for a couple of weeks, but no, this is definitely for the remainder of the school year. And, you know, to be realistic could come in waves over the next couple of years, right? So uh, what does that look like to be prepared to say, you know what, next week we have to shut down school for six weeks, but we have a system in place to make that happen. And hopefully I'll see you in six weeks, right? And we'll be able to jump back into our more traditional classroom instruction. Yeah, I, I love two things that you brought up that um, really spoke to me. One is the idea of this tool might not be right for you or right for the kids. and and that in my mind, I'm trying to encourage teachers simple, right? Simple is better, you know, because not only do you have to become, com you know, comfortable with the technology and comfortable with being able to share, but also we want our students, and I'm at the elementary level, we want our students to be able to tap in and feel comfortable and allow that technology maybe to kind of stop being the new thing so that the work that we're doing can become that new thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so I appreciate that. But I want to go a little deeper on what you were referring to in regards to just access, right? So mm -hmm. we have at our school been handing out, uh, checking out Chromebooks to family groups and having them take them home to kind of support students being able to get online. We're finding out probably about 30% of our kids don't actually even have internet access yeah. at their home, uh, maybe through their phone, but mom doesn't have that much data right, right on there. So what are you finding across the different groups or the, the responses you've got and how are people maybe trying to navigate around that? It's a huge issue, right? And it's part of it is, can I get this child that hotspot in that Chromebook? Yeah. But then can I be there when they don't have anyone in their home who knows how to connect to the hotspot, right? Like right. there's no one sitting next to them who maybe can troubleshoot, right? In some right. situations. And, you know, those are all really big logistical concerns, but one that I've heard, you know, more and more people talk about, especially, um, you know, I taught in New York City public schools, so I'm, you know, tapped in here a little bit to conversations, of course, with folks I used to work with and still work with. And then I'm, had a conversation with someone else um, recently, also in an urban um, district, um, but this is true all across, you know, the country where you might not know where that child is um, in addition to trying to get them something, right? So even if you do have a plan right now of how to get that device um, into their hand and the hotspot and the support, right? If your mother, if you're an eighth grader and your mom's, you know, a first responder and is putting in twice as much time or frankly doesn't want to come home to you because they're really afraid of what that might mean. That might mean that you're living, you know, 
an hour away at grandma's house too, right? So like finding some of these students is part of it, right? And everyone you, we would hope Ray is coming from a place of best intentions and prioritizing what they need to do for their family. And I don't use that as an excuse to say, let's abandon this whole initiative by any means, but I don't think it's um, worthy of everyone's time to pretend that like those are not really big um, concerns. And that can happen in any space, right? I'm coming with a little bit more of an urban school mindset because that's where I'm, I'm talking to more people right now based on you know being home and those connections. But I've worked with schools all across the country um, where you know, there is not necessarily, you know, that sort of closeness, right? In terms of, I can't walk to school, right? I don't live two blocks from school to even get that thing or get lunch or all of that, right? I live on a regular day, 10 or 15 miles from my school. And today, right, I am now much further, right? Or I've been dropped off somewhere else. So, I don't have a, a right answer for what kind of system needs to be in place, but, you know, I'm, I'm really hopeful that when we are reflecting and making decisions later on, we're looking at these systems, right? And what is in place and what it looks like to bridge those gaps um, beyond what someone can do, frankly, at a teacher or even a superintendent level. Like there's some bigger pieces of this that I think are really important to bring into conversations and are, you know, counterproductive if we ignore. Mm-hmm. So those are those are some excellent points and and i we're both in urban systems and uh we've both been um challenged with trying to reach all learners during this time of crisis and um just realizing how you know it's really brought out the inequities that have always been in place have always been there uh but you know something like this really accentuates so i'm glad that you talked about that. Um, you have a book out called Tasks Before Apps. Mm-hmm. And, um, came out before the mm-hmm. <laughs> coronavirus pandemic, but mm-hmm. a little bit about the book and where did the idea come from? Yeah, so that book is the book that I published with ASCD actually, who um, I mentioned earlier. And that phrase, that tasks before apps phrase, was one I started using right very organically. Like, what are we doing here? Like, I'm going to tell you about these apps, or this is going to grab our attention and get us excited. But what's the purpose here? Like, how can we really refocus on what we want someone to do in this, right? As opposed to just having it because it's cool or flashy or different, right? And it's great to have those things that are are flashy and different and new, right? But what can we do to really make sure it's anchored in the best practices of teaching and learning that we know are true, no matter what you've got right on your desk in front of you. And so the book is really born out of that idea. It's broken down into three um, big components of creation and collaboration and curiosity, right? So this idea that, yes, we want kids to consume all these wonderful things. And isn't it fantastic that I can pull up a tutorial on YouTube right now and watch that, or that I can read an article and tap on the word and get a picture dictionary, right, to pop up. So that's wonderful, right? But then saying, what can kids make now that they've done this thing, right? How can they use digital tools to capture their voice, uh, to bring in imagery that connects to visual communication goals, right? So the ability there to give kids 
more access, more ways to show what they know, um, to create for an audience with a purpose, but then also to create something that's really authentic to what they experience as consumers, you know? So mm -hmm. by the time, right, we're talking today, I, as a consumer, have probably listened to two and a half hours of podcasts, right? Just taking care of stuff in the house, right? And so what does it mean when a student is consuming information and they can create or make that same thing, right? So that's what the first chunk starts off with. And then the collaboration chapter is one I've been talking about just, um, just this week actually on a webinar, because although I do talk about shared screen collaboration, which is when we do get to share that Chromebook and lean over and point and talk and sit right next to that person, which is important and wonderful and something we're all craving more of right, right now. Um, I also talk about remote collaboration, which can be asynchronous, right? Or it could be synchronous if we're in that same document at the same time. So that um, talks about some activities that use those different models, that brings video conferencing in to connect with experts and to have people share um, what they're interested and excited about. And then the last piece is that curiosity. So how can we make sure that we are honoring what kids are interested and excited about, but then also supporting them with things that, you know, we don't know what we don't know. So we might not know to ask that question. So how can we spark some of that um, curiosity, whether it's a more formal inquiry project that students are doing, or we are using an interest survey to decide, right, which article from Newzella we're going to pull because kids are going to be more excited about that topic and, and really being strategic with all of those things. So it's K-12 focused and does have the, in a first grade classroom, this might look like, right? In a middle school classroom, this might look like kind of breakdown. It has plenty of tools and connections because you can't do any of these things if you don't know what some of the tools are, right? So even though you might have a favorite to go to. And I think, you know, as I've been talking the past couple of weeks and leading some virtual professional development on this idea of classroom technology tips, but outside of the classroom, right? It does come down to saying, what can we do to give kids some um, choice, um, allow them to decide how to interact with content, whether that's a video playlist or a choice board or something along those lines. But then can we give them some options? Like, would you rather make a movie about this? Or do you want to talk about what you just read and record it, even though we might not all be on a Zoom call at the same time and create a podcast like that? And it's been interesting to see the conversations around what collaboration looks like um, remotely over the past couple of weeks. Just yesterday, I was um, chatting with someone from Soundtrap, which is a collaborative um, podcasting and music making tool, which, you know, fits into that category too, right? So I could log in and drop a beat or add my voice and then someone else could come in right after me and continue, you know, that project. So there's a lot of tools that lend themselves well to these situations, but it does circle back to that conversation where our conversation started with saying, if you've got one, right, this is the time to try Microsoft documents online, right? Or this is the time to revisit that Google, you know, classroom PD and use those tools in a collaborative way if it feels good. Um, but if you've never really talked about digital citizenship or shared online spaces or things like that in a classroom setting, because it hasn't been a priority in the past, um, we still want to pull that into conversations um, too, right? If we are doing some more this remote collaboration. Uh, I'm curious, Monica, if you've been able to tap in and hear more about how the student experiences have been. 
yeah, a lot of those conversations for me have been with um, parents um, who are sharing what it feels like to um, kind of watch their their children kind of go through these spaces. And, you know, I think there's some situations where, again, with the best intentions, you have classroom educators either being told or on their own, giving a lot of, of screen time in the sense that we're all going to sit for this like 40 minute zoom when I could just record a quick five minute video probably of this strategy in action and let you watch it at your own time. So I think some families are really craving that schedule, like tell my kid they need to sit here for an hour, right? Where other families know that might not be the best way for their child to learn or the best thing to actually fit into their schedule too, right? So if we can do this over the course of a week, we would feel better than having to get this done by the end of the day on a Tuesday. Yeah. So those are a lot of the conversations I'm having. I'm in conversations with um, family and friends, you know, I think a big noticing has been that some children are really adapting well to this, right? Like they are self-directed learners. They don't like the distractions that come with sitting in a classroom with 30 students, right? They are feeling better about that while others are having a very, very hard time not having um, those everyday connections and are craving those whole, can we all get on Google Meet together, um, classroom calls or Flipgrid responses and see their friends and hear their voices. And, and so it seems like there's no one right you know, way or yeah. one clear experience. And I think that's really important to acknowledge as well. Yeah, very good. <laughs> What little things could we take away from your book or your work uh, to make our schools more effective now, you know, considering the climate that we're in right now, and then also into the future? Because, you know, we all hope that um, things will go back to normal sooner rather than later. Yeah. Okay. But then what will normal look like? What should it look like? Kind of taking our learning from this into the future. So if you could talk about, if you could address both of those. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the first thing, and you know, this definitely connects to the book, is when you are sharing something with families, especially if it's like a newsletter or a resource, or maybe something that's not necessarily structured into a full initiative, try to be as clear with your why as possible, right? I'm sending you this link to Storyline Online videos full of read-alouds. Here's why I'm sending it to you, and here's how you might use it. So. I think, you know, especially us in education, right, we could sit down next to a child with a book and we could just go with it, right, for like 45 minutes. We would pause, we would ask questions, we wouldn't even think twice about all of those things, right? Yeah. So if we can really give that why and then a how, like kind of guidance, even if it's pretty general um, to a family member, I think that's something really important to consider. And that definitely comes back to the task before apps mindset of like, why are we doing this? Or like, what's the purpose here? And if we can communicate that with families, even in a sentence that goes next to a link. I think that's a lot of value add right there. And then as we're, you know, hopefully going into um, a future of a hybrid model or more traditional classrooms that we all are craving, right? I think the same idea of reflecting and saying when we did these things, like why did we do them? Like what was feeling good? And if I am planning moving forward, if I know I have a persuasive writing unit in the month of October, um, what can I also have side by side that's going to lend themselves to some transfer? Like maybe I'm making a commitment to 
find a few more tutorial videos to have and to share. Or maybe I'm going to record my mini lesson, right, as I kind of go on a screencast and show a math strategy, um, even when the students are all together, um, that way they have this digital product to look at and review, or maybe point to, you know, if a couple weeks from now we aren't able to all sit together. So those are just a couple things that I would consider, right, with family resources, putting that um, why and the how next to it. And then as we are hopefully back into more traditional environment, um, kind of keeping that side by side in our planning to say, what would this look like if we couldn't be all together? Um, even if it's just an exercise of brainstorming and as opposed to planning for something specific at home. Yeah. You know, Monica, our, our focus is the little things that make a big difference in schools. You don't have to have sweeping reforms, right? Mm -hmm. There are things we can do little by little over time consistently. So I appreciate just all the ideas that you've shared with us, but we like to ask the question, if you could go back to your younger self, right? You're beginning in education. What do you, what advice would you give yourself about a little thing that make a big difference? I think, and, and now it seems so normal, but in the past it would have taken more, more energy. I wish I had snapped more pictures of small little things, you know, over the course of, especially the beginning of my teaching career, because I think it would um, be helpful to reference, right, or to think back to, or to be able to review almost like a journal, right, to say yeah. what was going on, because I think that reminder is important to say, like, those things were working before the iPads came, so, like, if we are <laughs> using this, like, what is the value add here, and then, then coming back to that value add, so one little thing would be, Right, whether it was with a digital camera or one of those throwaway ones, like disposable cameras or something, right? Um, to have snapped a few more pictures, and I encourage people to to think of that now. Well, it's so easy <laughs> to do. Yeah. Um, even those little moments that don't seem like a big celebration, um, capturing those are really special. Yeah. Thank you so much, and we really appreciate you taking time away from your castle to come mm -hmm. and spend time with us and and visit with us and, and share some of your expertise. Is there anything you want to share as far as with our listeners about where they can tap into your work, uh, websites, uh, podcasts, you, you made reference through our call through a couple of things. Absolutely. So um, my blog is classtechtips.com. You can find my podcast, the Easy Ed Tech podcast right there, or you can find it on all the podcast places um, to all the apps. And then on social, I'm just at Class Tech Tips. So you can find me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or Pinterest. Um, I even tried posting a couple TikTok videos with quick tips, but I'm not sure that's the right fit for me. Um, but on those social places, um, I try my best to share updates and, and quick tips that hopefully will help um, people get some ideas. Did you dance on the TikTok video? I think that was the missing piece, to be honest, you know? Right, right. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming and being part of our call. We wish you uh, a safe and, um, you know, happy remainder of this school year, wherever it takes you. And, and again, thank you for being with us. Likewise. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye.